0: Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, March 5th. In like a lamb, not a lion so far. We'll see. On today's episode of Foresight Friday Roundup, we're going to talk about something we rarely talk about on the show, and that's the COVID-19 pandemic. Don't you just love pandemic sarcasm? So today we're gonna talk about two new reports, both from the Urban Institute. The first one is on vaccine hesitancy or why lots of people still don't want to get immunized against the deadly COVID-19 virus. The second is on delayed care or why lots of people skipped going to their doctor because they didn't want to get the deadly COVID-19 virus. What's going on people? To make sense of it all on today's show are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchinson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning,
1: Dave? Well, sarcasm is just one of the services we offer. How am I doing? (laughs) I'm jealous that Julie's going to be recording our roundup the next two weeks from Hawaii I love that the word aloha means both hello and goodbye in the Hawaiian
0: language. So aloha, Julie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's not talk about it.
0: <laughs> all right, all right, Julie, there's your opening. How are you this morning?
2: Well, my cover is blown. I was going to go a more intellectual route and say that my entire week was made by the J&J Merck collaboration. He had a huge smile on my face, and I got to say that is leadership right there.
0: Got it. Yeah, I'll go the other direction. Maybe we'll call this Poycast instead of podcast. I I go right for the uh, first grade level there, Julie. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we talk about vaccine hesitancy and delayed care, let's talk about your facial expressions. Dave, uh, when you first heard or read that Texas and Mississippi were lifting their mask mandates. uh, What expression or gesture did you make?
1: (laughs) Well, I wasn't looking in the mirror, but I did go to a dinner party a few years ago in Texas, and the cocktail napkins had the observation, on the eighth day, God created Texas. And I think that about says it all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? What did your face look like after you heard or read the news about Texas and Mississippi?
2: Well, I'm not sure what my face looked like, but the first person I thought of was Homer Simpson going, dope. (laughs)
0: Excellent. Yeah, I read it in a tweet, and I had to read it several times before I believed it. And I guess if you could read the expression on my face, it just said Texas. So there you have it. I think we're in agreement.
2: Absolutely.
1: Remember the Alamo.
0: Classic. All right, let's talk about vaccine hesitancy. Dave, the Urban Institute released a new report on vaccine hesitancy. What did it say? And what does it say about what we have to do to get more needles in people's arms?
1: Really important topic. According to Tony Fauci, we need 70 to 75% of Americans to receive COVID vaccinations to achieve herd immunity. As my friends in New England would say, this is a wicked problem. It has two parts, first is manufacturing and distributing enough doses to vaccinate all Americans. And although there've been some bumps in the road, we're well on the way to achieving that goal by the end of May, as President Biden announced this week. As vaccine availability shifts from scarcity to abundance, uh, the Biden administration will confront the second part of that wicked herd immunity problem. That is winning enough Americans' hearts and minds So that they get vaccinated and we achieve herd immunity. The Urban Institute's survey report that you referenced, Dave, on vaccine hesitancy is an important information source for designing appropriate public policy responses. What I like about the report is that they've identified the different anti-vaxxer categories. It's a diverse group, so here's the layout. Overall, 35% of Americans 35% big number indicate they will not likely get vaccinated. So we need to win a quarter to a third of this group to hit herd immunity. 49% of blacks are unlikely to get vaccinated. It's bipartisan, 25% of Democrats and a whopping 47% of Republicans are not likely to get vaccinated. Of the vaccine hesitant adults, 57% said they did not need a vaccine. Only 51% trust their healthcare providers about the vaccine. And for reasons why they're reluctant, uh, at least what they say, they're concerned about side effects and effectiveness, particularly given how quickly the vaccines have come from creation into the marketplace. The report lays out logical strategies for persuading each of these groups to get vaccinated. They identify transparency, equity, easy access, and trusted sources as key to overcoming individual reluctance to take the vaccines. But in summary, you know, sticking it to COVID will not be a walk in the park.
0: You got it, thanks Dave. And Julie, what does the report say about how much more work we need to do to reach herd immunity? After reading it, are you more optimistic or more pessimistic that we'll do that?
2: I'm optimistic on this for sure, but we should not be shooting for perfect because we won't get there. And I think we have to be really creative about how we're approaching different types of vaccine hesitancy. And this comes down to some good old market segmentation, honestly. You know, the big audiences we need to convince are people who are concerned about the adequacy of the science. Black Americans, we've heard a lot about, Republicans, as Dave pointed out, and um, healthcare providers, honestly. And taking them one at a time, you know, people concerned about the adequacy of the science, uh, I think this is a group that can be moved. We need to shower them with detail about the manufacturing processes and review processes. I mean, we have done things differently here. We've pumped billions of dollars in. We've seen unprecedented coordination among multiple types of bodies. And I don't think your average American knows about the multiple external bodies that do the super rigorous and comprehensive supplemental reviews for the FDA and the CDC. I mean, they do that for every vaccine that hits the street. So this is a group that needs to be showered with data and detail. Black Americans, I've heard more reasons and more studies and more podcasts for the reasons for vaccine hesitant. And I just think we really don't know. We need to ask. We need to listen. We can't assume. I think listening builds trust. And that's what this group needs. And it's going to be a difficult group to move for sure. I think the vaccine hesitant Republicans, I have to kind of chuckle, but it's, you know, they just don't believe that COVID exists. So they don't think they need the vaccine. And this is where we need healthcare providers. And frankly, we may just need a little bit more in your face reality and storytelling and visuals about the death that is literally surrounding us. And lastly, healthcare providers are tough. I mean, you know, they need to listen to patients like they never have before. It's not the same line every time. And we have to balance the risks with the benefits. Our litigious society has taught doctors to CYA 100% of the time. And we need doctors to be good ambassadors and to sell it more than the risk. Different strokes for different folks.
0: Got it. Dave, anything to add to Julie's comments?
1: I agree with everything Julie said, uh, perhaps with a behavioral psychology twist. Behavioral psychology teaches us that logic doesn't always drive human decision-making. Emotions are a really powerful force. So telling a teenage girl, for example, they'll get cancer doesn't stop them from going to tanning salons. But if you tell them they're going to prematurely wrinkle, it often does. So figuring out those emotional touch points are really important. And to do that, as as Julie said, we really need to listen and understand the pictures in their heads and what types of persuasion strategies will ultimately work. They need to be tailored. Uh, Storytelling, trusted sources are key. The only other thing I'd add, and this is for these uh, reluctant Republicans, and even though he won't find it pleasant, if I were President Biden, I'd do everything in my power to persuade President Trump to campaign for COVID vaccines. We learned this week that he and Melania have received vaccines, but they did it privately, not publicly, the way Biden did. So I'd swallow my pride, pucker up, and try and get Trump out on the, on the campaign trail to, to promote vaccine um, adherence.
2: Dave, taking the high road.
0: Yeah, good, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about delayed care because of the pandemic. Julie, tell us what the second report said and tell us your three big takeaways from the uh, report for our listeners.
2: Yeah, well, this report you know, confirms that so many of us already know intuitively, but now we have the numbers to start shaping the issues and the impact. It was a study done of just over 4,000 people in September, and they found a few things. Adults with chronic conditions, about 41% of them delayed or avoided care, which is pretty concerning because this is a population that can worsen pretty quickly without the right monitoring and care. And in that population, dental care was most commonly avoided, you know, not surprisingly, need-based doctors' visit were more avoided than preventative care. Which sort of makes sense, and a pretty concerning. Adults with both a physical and mental health condition, over half of them reported delaying or forgoing care. Half. So mental health continues to rear its ugly head. You know, on the family front, I think this is pretty important. About twenty nine percent of parents delayed care for their children, and more of these parents, of course, were lower income than not. So this could definitely take a toll on some kids' development depending upon the situation and take them off course, which has longer-term both health and socioeconomic equity issues for sure. And unfortunately, we learned that not getting treatment had consequences. About a third of the adults who delayed or skipped treatment saw other conditions worsen. So their ability to work or perform other daily activities is limited, which researchers worry could then snowball into longer term poor outcomes and having a harder time getting back to kind of pre-pandemic levels of activity and the economic challenges that come with that for these folks. And lastly, we learned that in the mortality data there has been a pretty major spike in deaths from diabetes, dementia, hypertension, heart disease, and stroke among others. So we're just we're seeing now the impacts start to come together to shape what the implications are.
0: Thanks, Julie. Dave, what does the report say about people's behaviors and uh, what providers need to do to get patients back? And then how can you be afraid of COVID and yet not want the vaccine? I don't get that. My friend Matt
1: Wilson makes the very powerful observation that unaffordable care is undelivered care. And there's a lot of undelivered care in the United States of America right now. The 36% figure of, of non-elderly adults not receiving care dovetails with some research that the design firm Gensler did last year. We used this research as part of the commentary we co-authored titled, Where Have All the Patients Gone? You know, you can hear Peter, Paul, and Mary in the background. Uh, but, but what we noticed was after the shutdown of elective surgeries, they didn't snap back as quickly as people expected, in fact, nowhere near as quickly. And our conclusion was one-size-fits-all healthcare care doesn't work. And it does turn out you actually need patients to run a health system. And historically, health systems have used a one-size-fits-all approach because it's highly efficient. But quite honestly, if you've got people that are reluctant to come to your hospital because they're scared it's better to know about that first, deal with it pre-visit, through the visit and post-visit and earn their trust and loyalty over time. I mean, the retail sector for years has been doing profiling to do exactly that. If I were on the provider side, I'd be doing a lot of thinking about uh, you know, the pictures in the heads and what are the concerns and, and really addressing them in, in profound ways. The other thing I'd say is this this cost question is really should be front and center. Uh, West Health and Gallup had a terrific webinar this week on cost and access issues. And they found, you know, Americans are forgoing food so they can pay for vital medications. Over 30% of non-elderly households earning 60,000 or less and by the way median household income in this country is $62,000. So that's basically, you know, most of the country, 30% of those households didn't seek care due to costs in the last 12 months. So unless we get our hands around the cost issue, these problems we're seeing with COVID and the reluctance will compound with one another and we'll continue to see, as we saw so distressingly uh, in the last couple of weeks, Substantial life expectancy declines among Americans. I mean, what a statement about the current state of our country.
0: Got it. Thanks, Dave. Julie, did I hear your finger snapping to that musical reference?
2: (laughs) How did you know? God, you're blowing all my covers today.
0: (laughs) Uh, Anything to add to Dave's comments?
2: You know, I would just say this, um, when I look at all the doctors I see or my kids see in our area, everyone is leading with virtual first. And I know in my mother's area in South Florida, that is not what she sees is a virtual first option for her. So I think if we're thinking about how we provide access and we really care about people feeling comfortable with care wherever they can get it. We need to be thinking about these new modalities um, as a business strategy, and some are definitely doing a better job than others.
0: Okay, now let's talk about next week. Julie, are we talking about anything other than COVID next week?
2: Well, Dave, I think we're going to start to see this current stimulus bill hopefully settle down and hear more talk about the infrastructure bill. And from what I'm hearing about the infrastructure bill, we're going to see a lot more healthcare discussed as we talk about broadband and access and things like that. So I think it's going to be pretty exciting in Washington soon.
1: Got it. Dave? Well, I, I do think the COVID stimulus package, the COVID relief bill, will Uh, make its way through the Senate and to Biden's desk, at least as soon as the clerks finish reading every single word of it, which (laughs) seems ridiculous, but going on right now. I guess what I'd I'd like is, as we come out of this, to see really more emphasis on these cost and access questions that the Gallup West Health Seminar talked about. Uh, One of the findings from their research is that two-thirds of Americans think that reducing the costs of drugs and health care should be a priority for the Biden administration. You know, at some point, I think the Republicans are going to get the joke and doing what the people want to do is actually good government. So if I were the Biden administration, I, I hope they will really zero in on these these costs and access questions. They're really important.
2: Here,
0: Got it. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. Get vaccinated and see your doctor if you could afford it. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.